Section thirty one of Essays, Book two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays, Book two, by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Of Virtue. I find by experience that there is a good deal to be said betwixt the flights and emotions of the soul, or a resolute and constant habit, and very well perceive that there is nothing we may not do, nay, even to the surpassing the divinity itself, says a certain person, for as much as it is more to render a man's self impossible by his own study and industry, than to be so by his natural condition, and even to be able to conjoin to man's imbecility and frailty a godlike resolution and assurance but it is by fits and starts, and in the lives of those heroes of times past, there are sometimes miraculous impulses, and that seem infinitely to exceed our natural force, but they are indeed only impulses, and it is hard to believe that these so elevated qualities in a man can so thoroughly tinct and imbue the soul that they should become ordinary, and, as it were, natural in him. It accidentally happens even to us, who are but abortive births of men, sometimes to launch our souls, when roused by the discourses or examples of others, much beyond their ordinary stretch, but is a kind of passion which pushes and agitates them, and in some sort ravishes them from themselves. But this perturbation, once overcome, we see that they insensibly flag and slacken of themselves, if not to the lowest degree, at least so as to be no more the same, insomuch as that upon every trivial occasion, the losing of a bird, or the breaking of a glass, we suffer ourselves to be moved little less than one of the common people. I am of opinion that order, moderation, and constancy excepted. All things are to be done by a man that is very imperfect and defective in general. Therefore it is, say the sages, that to make a right judgment of a man, you are chiefly to pry into his common actions and surprise him in his everyday habit. Pyro, he who erected so pleasant a knowledge upon ignorance, endeavoured, as all the rest who were really philosophers did, to make his life correspond with his doctrine, and because he maintained the imbecility of human judgment to be so extreme as to be incapable of any choice or inclination, and would have it perpetually wavering and suspended, considering and receiving all things as indifferent, tis said that he always comforted himself after the same manner and countenance. If he had begun a discourse, he would always end what he had to say, though the person he was speaking to had gone away. If he walked, he never stopped for any impediment that stood in his way, being preserved from precipices, collision with carts, and other like accidents, by the care of his friends, for, to fear or to avoid anything, had been to shock his own propositions, which deprived the senses themselves of all election and certainty. Sometimes he suffered incision and coteries with so great constancy as never to be seen so much as to wince. "'Tis something to bring the soul to these imaginations, "'tis more to join the effects, and yet not impossible, "'but to conjoin them with such perseverance and constancy "'as to make them habitual, "'is certainly an attempt so remote from the common usage, "'almost incredible to be done. "'Therefore it was, that being some time taken in his house, "'sharply scolding with his sister, "'and being reproached that he therein transgressed "'his own rules of indifference, "'What?' said he. Must this bit of a woman also serve for a testimony to my rules? Another time being seen to defend himself against a dog. It is, said he, very hard totally to put off man, 
and we must endeavour and force ourselves to resist and encounter things, first by effects, but at least by reason and argument. About seven or eight years since, a husbandman yet living but two leagues from my house, having long been tormented with his wife's jealousy, coming one day home from his work, and she welcoming him with her accustomed railing, entered into so great fury that with a sickle he had yet in his hand, he totally cut off all those parts that she was jealous of, and threw them in her face. And it is said that a young gentleman of our nation, brisk and amorous, having by his perseverance at last mollified the heart of a fair mistress, enraged that upon the point of fruition he found himself unable to perform, and that non viriliter iners senile penis extulerat caput, Tibulus Priapea Carmina 84. As soon as ever he came home, he deprived himself of the rebellious member and sent it to his mistress, a cruel and bloody victim for the expiation of his offence. If this had been done upon mature consideration, and upon the account of religion, as the priests of Sibylle did, what should we say of so high an action? A few days since, at Bergerac, five leagues from my house, up the river Dordogne, a woman having overnight been beaten and abused by her husband, a choleric ill-conditioned fellow, resolved to escape from his ill-usage at the price of her life and going so soon as she was up the next morning to visit her neighbours, as she was wont to do, and having let some words fall in recommendation of her affairs, she took a sister of hers by the hand, and led her to the bridge, whither being come, and having taken leave of her, in jest as it were, without any manner of alteration in her countenance, she threw herself headlong from the top into the river, and was there drowned. That which is the most remarkable in this, is that this resolution was a whole night forming in her head. It is quite another thing with the Indian women, for it being the custom there for the men to have many wives, and the best beloved of them to kill herself at her husband's decease, every one of them makes it the business of her whole life to obtain this privilege and gain this advantage over her companions, and the good offices they do their husbands aim at no other recompense but to be preferred in accompanying him in death. Ubi mortifero iacta est fax ultima lecto, uxorum fusis stat piaturba comis, et certamen habent lethi, que viva sequatur, coniugium pudor est non liquisimori, ardent victrices et flame pectora prebent, imponuntque suis ora perusta viris. For when they threw the torch on the funeral bed, the pious wives, with her dishevelled, stand around striving, which living shall accompany her spouse. And are ashamed that they may not die, they who are preferred, expose their breasts to the flame, and they lay their scorched lips on those of their husbands. Propertius 3.13.17 A certain author of our times, reports that he has seen in those oriental nations this custom in practice that not only the wives bury themselves with their husbands but even the slaves he has enjoyed also which is done after this manner the husband being dead the widow may if she will but few will demand two or three months respite wherein to order her affairs the day being come she mounts on horseback dressed as fine as at her wedding and with a cheerful countenance says she is going to sleep with her spouse, holding a looking-glass in her left hand, and an arrow in the other. Being thus conducted in pomp, 
accompanied with her kindred and friends, and a great concourse of people in great joy, she is at last brought to the public place appointed for such spectacles, in the midst of which is a pit full of wood, and adjoining to it a mount raised four or five steps, upon which she is brought and served with a magnificent repast, which, being done, she falls to dancing and singing, and gives order, when she thinks fit, to kindle the fire. This being done, she descends, and taking the nearest of her husband's relations by the hand, they walk to the river close by, where she strips herself stark naked, and having distributed her clothes and jewels to her friends, plunges herself into the water, as if there to cleanse herself from her sins. Coming out thence, she wraps herself in a yellow linen of five-and-twenty ells long, and again, giving her hand to this kinsman of her husband's, they return back to the mound, where she makes a speech to the people, and recommends her children to them, if she have any. Betwixt the pit and the mound there is commonly a curtain drawn, to screen the burning furnace from their side, which some of them, to manifest the greater courage, forbid. Having ended what she has to say, a woman presents her with a vessel of oil, wherewith to anoint her head and her whole body, which, when done with, she throws into the fire, and in an instant precipitates herself after. Immediately the people throw a good many billets and logs upon her, that she may not be long in dying, and convert all their joy into sorrow and mourning. If they are persons of meaner condition, the body of the defunct is carried to the place of sepulture, and there, placed sitting, the widow kneeling before him, embracing the dead body, and they continue in this posture, whilst the people build a wall about them, which so soon as it is raised to the height of the woman's shoulders, one of her relations comes behind her, and taking hold of her head, twists her neck. So soon as she is dead, the wall is presently raised up, and closed, and there they remain entombed. There was in this same country something like this in their gymnosophists, for not by constraint of others, nor by the impetuosity of a sudden humour, but by the express profession of their order, their custom was, as soon as they arrived at a certain age, or that they saw themselves threatened by any disease, to cause a funeral pile to be erected for them, and on the top of a stately bed, where, after having joyfully feasted their friends and acquaintance, they laid them down with so great resolution, that, fire being applied to it, they were never seen to steer either hand or foot. And, after this manner, one of them, Calanus by name, expired in the presence of the whole army of Alexander the Great, and he was neither reputed holy nor happy amongst them, who did not thus destroy himself, dismissing his soul purged and purified by the fire, after having consumed all that was earthly and mortal. This constant premeditation of the whole life is that which makes the wonder. Amongst our other controversies, that of Fatum has also crept in, and, to tie things to come, and even our own wills to a certain and inevitable necessity, we are yet upon this argument of time past. Since God foresees that all things shall so fall out, as doubtless he does, it must then necessarily follow that they must so fall out. To which our masters reply, that the seeing anything come to pass as we do, and as God himself also does, for all things being present with him, he rather sees than foresees, is not to compel an event. 
that is we see because things do fall out but things do not fall out because we see events cause knowledge but knowledge does not cause events that which we see happen does happen but it might have happened otherwise and god in the catalogue of the causes of events which he has in his prescience has also those which we call accidental and voluntary depending upon the liberty he has given our free will and knows that we do amiss because we would do so i have seen a great many commanders encourage their soldiers with this fatal necessity for if our time be limited to a certain hour neither the enemy's shot nor our own boldness nor our flight or cowardice can either shorten or prolong our lives this is easily said but see who will be so easily persuaded and if it be so that a strong and lively faith draws along with it actions of the same kind certainly this faith with so much brag of is very light in this age of ours unless the contempt it has of works makes it disdain their company so it is that to this very purpose the sire de joinville as credible a witness as any other whatever tells us of the bedouins a nation amongst the saracens with whom the king saint louis had to do in the holy land that they in their religion so firmly believed the number of every man's days to be from all eternity prefixed and set down by inevitable decree that they went naked to the wars excepting a turkish sword and their bodies only covered with a white linen cloth and for the greatest curse they could invent when they were angry this was always in their mouths accursed be thou as he that arms himself for fear of death this is a testimony of faith very much beyond ours and of this sort is that also the two friars of florence gave in our father's days being engaged in some controversy of learning they agreed to go both of them into the fire in the sight of all the people each for the verification of his argument and all things were already prepared and the thing just upon the point of execution when it was interrupted by an unexpected accident a young turkish lord having performed a notable exploit in his own person in the sight of both armies that of amuroth and that of funiades ready to join battle being asked by amuroth what in such tender and inexperienced years for it was his first sally into arms had inspired him with so brave a courage replied that his chief tutor for valour was a hare for being said he one day a hunting i found a hare sitting and though i had a brace of excellent greyhounds with me yet methought it would be best for sureness to make use of my bow for she sat very fair i then fell to letting fly my arrows and shot forty that i had in my quiver not only without hurting but without starting her from her form at last i slipped my dogs after her but to no more purpose than i had shot by which i understood that she had been secured by her destiny and that neither darts nor swords can wound without the permission of fate which we can neither hasten nor defer this story may serve by the way to let us see how flexible our reason is to all sorts of images a person of great years name dignity and learning boasted to me that he had been induced to a certain very important change in his faith by a strange and whimsical incitation and one otherwise so inadequate that i thought it much stronger taking the contrary way 
He called it a miracle, and so I look upon it, but in a different sense. The Turkish historians say that the persuasion those of their nation have imprinted in them of the fatal and unalterable prescription of their days manifestly conduces to the giving them great assurance in dangers and i know a great prince who makes very fortunate use of it whether it be that he really believes it or that he makes it his excuse for so wonderfully hazarding himself let us hope fortune may not be too soon weary of her favour to him there has not happened in our memory a more admirable effect of resolution than in those two who conspired the death of the prince of orange the first of these was Jehan de Jauregi, who wounded the prince on 18th of March, 1582. The second, by whom the prince was killed on 10th of July, 1584, was Balthazar Gerard. Tis marvellous how the second who executed it could ever be persuaded into an attempt, wherein his companion, who had done his utmost, had had so ill success. And after the same method, and with the same arms, to go attack a lord, armed with so recent a late lesson of distrust, powerful in followers and bodily strength, in his own hall, amidst his guards, and in a city wholly at his devotion. Assuredly, he employed a very resolute arm, and a courage inflamed with furious passion. A poignard is surer for striking home, but by reason that more motion and force of hand is required than with a pistol, the blow is more subject to be put by or hindered. That this man did not run to a certain death, I make no great doubt, for the hopes any one could flatter him withal could not find place in any sober understanding, and the conduct of his exploits sufficiently manifests that he had no want of that, no more than of courage. The motives of so powerful a persuasion may be diverse, for our fancy does what it will, both with itself and us. The execution that was done near Orleans, the murder of the Duke of Guise by Paul Trott, was nothing like this. There was in this more of chance than vigour. The wound was not mortal, if fortune had not made it so, and to attempt to shoot on horseback, and at a great distance, by one whose body was in motion from the motion of his horse, was the attempt of a man who had rather miss his blow than fail of saving himself. This was apparent from what followed for he was so astonished and stupefied with the thought of so high an execution that he totally lost his judgment both to find his way to flight and to govern his tongue what needed he to have done more than to fly back to his friends across the river tis what i have done in less dangers and that i think of very little hazard how broad soever the river may be provided your horse have easy going in and that you see on the other side easy landing according to the stream the other, Balthazar Gerard, when they pronounced his dreadful sentence. I was prepared for this, said he, beforehand, and I will make you wonder at my patience. The assassins, a nation bordering upon Phoenicia, are reputed amongst the Mohammedans, a people of very great devotion and purity of manners. They hold that the nearest way to gain paradise is to kill someone of a contrary religion, which is the reason they have often been seen being but one or two, and without armour, to attempt against powerful enemies, at the price of a certain death, and without any consideration of their own danger. So was our Raymond Count of Tripoli assassinated, which word is derived from their name, in the heart of his city, in 1151, during our enterprises of the Holy War, and likewise 
Conrad, Marquis of Montferrat, the murderers of their execution, bearing themselves with great pride and glory, that they had performed so brave an exploit. End of section 31